Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I am from San Francisco, California in the United States, although I am now living here in beautiful Wuhan, China, and you can call me by my Chinese name if you prefer, Shangguan Jiewen, and we are here today with... Alex Shu, that's me. Hi, Alex. And where are you uh, broadcasting from? I am in the, what they call, center of China. I'm in Beijing, everybody. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Oh, I thought Wuhan was the center of China because that's where I am. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to argue that with you until the end of the day. Have you ever looked at the grid of like where trains come and go from and Wuhan is in the center? Have you noticed that? We sort of had to learn that in school, but still, you know, some things are just very arbitrary and subjective. And (laughs) I'm going to stand by what I say, Jason. (laughs) Are you originally from Beijing, Alex? Not originally. I am uh, from the northeast part of China, actually. But uh, I moved here with my parents when I was 15. So I kind of had most of my adolescent years and my adult years here. So this feels more like a city that I could call home. Um, but I am by uh, birth a, a Dongbeiren. <laughs> and I'm originally from the U.S. and I've been li- living here in China. Actually, was in Beijing for 10 years before I moved here to Wuhan. I understand that you also lived in the U.S. Where about in the U.S. did you live? Oh, I was moving up and down the East Coast a lot. I was in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm, then I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, <laughs> and then back up to New York, New York. Today's topic is going to be public and private transportation. By that, I mean like cars and subways, trains, and that kind of thing. Uh, When you were living in the U.S., did you experience a crush of traffic when you were trying to get to work in the morning or on the way home in the afternoon? It's the I was mostly living in cities with sort of, uh, you know, uh, solid public transportation systems in, uh, in New York and in Boston. And... It's not so much as uh, crowded as it's <laughs> not as uh, convenient or, or, or how fast public transportation meant for me. Because um, I don't, I don't know if you have you used the Boston uh, public transportation system. The, I have not. They call it a, they call it they call it the T, which is an above the ground uh, little you know light rail system, and mm-hmm. it doesn't. It's not on elevated bridges. So it's just on the ground, like you're kind of traveling with traffic when you're, you know, inside of the the car and you're moving slower than everybody else. And then every, say, 300 meters, there's a a station. And I'm just like, I could perfectly walk these stations, not, you know, take the train, but it's just a lot slower. I will say that, you know, um, it's not as crowded uh, New York was crowded. New York was very, very crowded. There are times that you just can't get on the train. I just have to wait for two or three trains to pass until it's finally your turn. In preparation for this uh, 
discussion, I looked it up and apparently most of the infrastructure in New York was, they started building in 1904, but it's several decades old. So maybe that's why like some of it's a little bit slower. Yeah, you kind of expect mechanical failure more than you expect the train to arrive <laughs> on time. And this is, um, this is a, you know, a news that was super circulating when it happened. I think this was 2016 or 17 when they're like, oh, um, the dream of a hundred years, the dream of the century has finally come true. We're finally extending line, the queue line all the way up to East, East, uh, Harlem. And that was, I think, five more stops on queue line. Um, that took a hundred years to, put that into a bill and then, you know, put that into a plan that they're going to carry out and the actual construction and everything. And it was trying, I think this is 2017. And for me to look at that as someone from China, I was like, well, that did take a lot more time, you know, (laughs) how fast things are built here. Cause Beijing has, Beijing has now how many, I didn't count. It's gotta be like two dozen, three dozen, something like that. Right. Uh, I think there are, uh, it's, it's still less than 20, right? Because there are some lines missing. There are some lines or, missing. No, I, I, but there are also lines that are like broken into different pieces. So it depends on like like one, line one, it, it was it Suhui Dong? Yeah, like it breaks into yeah. two lines. So how many lines is that really? I think, uh, oh, well, this speaks to the fact that you've been away from Beijing for a little while, Jason, because I think recently line one and bottom line are connected now because wow yeah not because of but i think it it happened around the same time of the uh, opening of the universal resorts wow so So that's how you get there you take the mm -hmm. baton line or i guess line one now because there is no baton line if they're connected i guess I'm from California and a lot of people commute really far. Like there's no kind of real public transportation infrastructure between cities. And most people seem to work in a town or city that they don't live in. So like the Bay Area, for example, or San Francisco and Oakland are Berkeley and other places. A lot of people come from the Central Valley or the San Joaquin Valley. So every morning there's like a huge crush that lasts three hours where it seems like millions of people are all driving on highways and freeways to the Bay Area. And in the afternoon or the evening, going back, the same thing happens. And people just spend hours every single day commuting to and from the Bay Area. Los Angeles also has the same thing. Although Los Angeles is mostly, it's internal and just a few of the cities around it, there can just be hours of soul-sucking traffic. Um, Have you been out to California? (laughs) Did you experience any of that? I visited California. I never lived out there, so I didn't really have a, a real taste of how bad the traffic is. But again, I have friends, very close friends who are from there, and they, they I've heard similar nightmare uh, stories like you just told, where it's like a basic four-hour commute every day, like four hours and up. And when it hits a bad day, it's going to be six hours. And that's just, it's unfathomable for me to think that on top of an eight-hour workday, you are going to spend six hours stuck in a car in the middle of traffic, not moving, 
until before you get home or, or before you get to work. That's just, that's a lot for me. That's too much for me. Well, I know some people try to avoid it by leaving their homes at like 4 a.m. And then they just get to their workplace oh, really God. early. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so that, they, well, instead of sitting in traffic, they get to sit at their workplace for a couple of extra hours. So, I mean, there is the advantage of actually being somewhere instead of just waiting to take your foot off of this, you know, the pedal and move to the gas pedal. So, you could either leave early or just... Um, <laughs> it's allocating your time. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It doesn't no. sound fun. My they do have... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just about to say, because my thing is, even with somewhat crowded, uh, you know, public transport sy- transportation system, I could still either listen to a podcast, which you should all do for our podcast, little <laughs> The Bridge podcast, but you can use, I could either listen to podcasts or listen to music or read a book. Or just even, you know, browsing social media on my phone, that still feels like a process of starting my day or waking myself up, preparing myself mentally for a whole day of work. And it's the reverse when I get off work and I could, you know, unwind a little bit on public transportation. We're like, yes, I know it's just, you know, pressing and release the gas paddle when you... uh when you drive but for me it's just like i am by myself i can't people watch if i people watch there's gonna be an accident it's just it's just it, it feels like work to me still especially if i need to do that for three hours mm, mm. it's not hard pass jason hard pass <laughs> yeah I'm, there there is a uh there's a single train line called um bart bay area rapid transit that picks up and i think it's pleasantville is the name of the town or dublin and then you can go into the city from there but most people still don't even live that deep into the bay or anyways i'm a little bit off track but there isn't really a lot of public (laughs) infrastructure other than driving i mean america seems to be the home of the car like with detroit and a very long history of building chevys and fords for the world for a lot of Mm -hmm. a long time it seems like and this is where i'm going uh china has an advantage because it didn't start to build its public infrastructure until the 80s 90s and a little bit later so they got to use all the best technology do you think that's accurate i factually that is true and i agree i don't remember using too much of any um private cars or, or, you know, our friends and family didn't have private cars when I was a kid. And that would be from, you know, 1989. And I'm dating myself here a little bit until probably mid or late 90s, where we're mostly just taking uh, the bus. And it's not the big buses that we see now uh, in China. Back then, it was the, we call it the xiaoba, the mini bus, you know. And no, I don't know. Okay. Could you describe uh, this xiaoba? Uh, that was before xiaoba. How should I? How should I? Um, I'm getting getting stuck for word. I'm getting stuck for words. But xiaoba is. Um, so think about an an SUV, mm-hmm. but it's not an SUV, and it has more seats. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> it has a lot more seats. So kind of like a. I don't know cars very well, so there's it's hard for me to come up with a comparison. Like a minibus? It's it's a minibus. It it hosts about, um, they're probably like 20 seats or fewer. But back then, when we talk about buses, when I was around from 8 to 13, so before, you know, until early 2000s in my hometown in the Northeast uh, uh, city of Changchun. I don't know if you've been, but before then, that's all we think about if you say bus. And so we're mostly hmm. just taking the minibuses, taking Xiaoba, or there are some, you know, there are taxis, but not as many. So driving was just not hmm. something hmm. people that were used to or, or thinking about. And 
part of my great childhood memory was actually being on the backseat of my my dad my dad's bike. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen people sitting sideways on oh yeah, on the bike, anytime on the bike, right, right. And so that was that was kind of the the transportation system when I was a kid in China. You know, the bikes, the the, the buses, and sometimes taxis if you want to just you know be good to yourself and spoil yourself a little bit. It, w- it wasn't until I think my family had our first car in 2005 or six, and uh, my parents didn't learn to drive until they were in their mid-40s. And uh, people become quite stubborn when they reach that age, so it's kind of like whatever their driving coach was telling them to do, they were just doing it their own ways. So in the beginning, it was a little bit of a... Uh, you know, challenge for me. I felt like I was being a really good family member and just trying to be the support on the passenger seat and not showing how scared I was of my dad's driving. So even after we had our car, <laughs> if I if I had a choice, I would be like, all right, I'm walking home or I am taking the subway home because it's very easy. You don't have to do all of this work to pick me up in your car, dad. Thank you. Stay. But we it, it only really became uh, very popular I think in the uh, past 15 years where kind of all of a sudden everybody had a car um, and the subway line went from two when I first moved to Beijing or back then there was like maybe four or five, but till the number that we were talking about earlier and it's going to be more. I think they're building a subway station in front of my apartment apartment now. I think it's going to be line 12. I think it's going to go up to like over 20 for sure. Yeah, it is, it is amazing. I, when I moved to Beijing, there were only maybe 10 lines and now they're easily twice that. Um, but yeah. for for the people who don't live in China, I want to describe like some of the, the commute in Beijing specifically because we can both talk about that. Um, there are these yes. uh, 20-ish lines that you have for the subway. So you could just take the subway where you're going, but you could also take a DD, or you could ride a bicycle, or you could rent a bicycle, or you could mm-hmm. drive. And there are lots of people who drive. And there's a bus infrastructure, and most drivers stay out of the bus lanes, in my experience, in Beijing. So, people, to, yeah. in my opinion, have a lot of different ways to get where they're going. My experience has been that the crush is really mostly just Friday after work trying to get anywhere to like everyone's trying to go somewhere to be entertained and like around four o'clock yes. to seven o'clock it is insanely like it's it's, it's like LA yeah it's deadlock like but LA is like that every morning and every afternoon but Beijing primarily only experiences that Friday evening when everyone's trying to get to wherever they're going is that is, would you say that's traffic, accurate traffic is pretty bad on Friday night from and then 4 p.m is a good estimate it starts to get congested around you know, four, four thirty, and then once it hits six thirty, everybody's dying to go home, and you know that's the probably the worst hour to travel on the road. One thing that I find is really interesting about China is that people say, I'm going to a small town. And what they mean is a place with 5 million people. 
<laughs> we apologize, but not really. <laughs> so, so where my mom lives, there's she's she lives in a small town. It's twenty thousand people. That's America. That's a that's a pretty that's small, small town. Yeah. And so when I go back to my wife's hometown, it's a small town. It's seven million people. <laughs> so, but the thing what I'm what, what I'm getting at is. If you get out of a train station in a quote unquote small town in China, you can get a cab because it, a small town has millions of people typically, unless it is actually like a village. <laughs> so you can actually still have really good like infrastructure for like getting around because even small towns have like, you know, hundreds of cabbies. So that's, that's yep. very convenient. If I go to my mom's hometown, I want a cab. I think I need to call a phone number. And there might be like two or three taxi drivers who live in the city. And that, that's it. That Those are all the taxis that exist in that town. And you're like, I know where you're going. The cab driver just comes and be like, I know where you're going. So you don't have to even tell me. Is that the case? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. Hey, Jason, your mom, you're going to your mom's house, right? Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but um, another thing is people... Sleeping trains. Have you taken one a sleeping train, Alex? Of course. I mean, before the bullet train became the more popular, more common way of, you know, commuting between two cities, we were always taking the f- sleeping trains. And I love those because you really just go on there and it, I'm a stingy person. You know, it saves you a, a night of hotel, you know, mm-hmm. expense. You kind of just go on there, close your eyes, you open your eyes and you're, you're, you're at your destination. And what kind of amenities do they have? I mean, the normal thing, you know, all of the, you know, the cover, the pillows, and very important for Chinese people, they have hot water on there. Always hot water. Mm-hmm. You can make your tea and you can make my favorite travel food, which is fang bian mian instant noodles that comes in a bowl. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, of course, the, the bathroom and stuff. And I think in recent years, they really improve the condition of these amenities on the the sleeping trains as well and there's there's a door and there's um i think there are outlets always and i think they give you like headphones as well as if you're on a on a plane so it's plenty of things to do and it's for me it's pretty comfortable and it's pretty easy and you can sit up and they have like a little table you can read at or write at potentially, right? That's the, that's like the, that's actually a really interesting part of the whole experience when you take the sleeping trains. Cause it's, it's either six or four people in a car, right? In a little room of, of, mm-hmm. of, of on the train. And there's like one table in the middle and you're always, you can always chat with the people that are in the same car with you. I don't know what your impression is, you know, after being in China for so many years it's not that we don't like to just chat people up very casually but for some reason mm. when you're mm. on the same journey in the same train and you're like hey we already shared a, a sort of a sleeping space already and it's very easy <laughs> for people to strike up a conversation i actually have a college friend who met her husband that oh, way really on a sleeping train. yes you- they were both traveling to Qingdao. Well, we've already slept together so <laughs> hey <laughs> like hey we're already close enough with each other we i already sort of know you know the the rhythm of your snoring so <laughs> you, get, you know we know each other well enough wow oh you know there's a shuttle out called the panda shuttle have you seen heard about this i i think first off confession i am very ashamed of myself that i've as a chinese person i've never been to chengdu i've never seen real pandas you've never seen pandas no i've never seen pandas oh my god <laughs> oh wow i'm so surprised you could go to the beijing zoo we to have to do pandas. an episode on the zoo here but 
uh, I have never, I haven't been to, I've never been to the Beijing Zoo except for、wow. um, going for shopping when there's still,、uh, you know, that、uh, the clothing market there. But I've never seen real panda and I should. And I think the panda shuttle you're talking about um, um, between, I think it goes to Chengdu from、um, That's right. Jiujiago. That's a very similar shuttle train, like、um, the Lijiang and Dali train, where they give you、mm-hmm. not just a commute, you get a, again, you get a sink KDV on it too, I think. The impression that I got, the rooms were only two beds in a room, or maybe four beds. So it's, it's, there's less people. You could potentially, you and your friends, just book a room, and they have a private bathroom with a shower and slippers and everything. It's like a hotel room. It's like a tiny little hotel room. What? That I didn't know. I didn't know about the, the private bathroom because that's very important to me. Mm, mm. I feel like I should go to Chengdu just to try that train and see how it is. <laughs> Another thing、um, cross country driving. I have friends who have done cross country driving in the US. I actually have quite a few Chinese friends mm, mm, who, mm. who did that.、Um, I have never done that, but I know people are starting to. Do that in China as well. I, mm, I've mm. seen, I don't know about you, but I've seen more,、um, what do you call that again? RVs. Yeah.、Um, in China. Like in just a, in China in a random parking lot. And I know there are a lot,、uh, a lot of vloggers who document their trip driving an RV to different scenic spots or just, you know, travel between different cities. And those, those accounts get a lot of views、wow. as well. I mean, if I could drive, I'd do、I'm、that sort too. I'm surprised. Yes, yes. I'll send you the links. I haven't seen a lot of RVs in China. So I'd be very interested to see, see RVs in China. I mean, in the US, they're a huge thing, especially with elder people. Yeah. Or some, some young people. Uh, it's, it's more rare. I mean, but definitely a lot of old people are like, oh, we're going to go see the States. So let's get an RV. And, you know, that's going to be our retirement. We're going to go all the places across the US. But I mean, if they're doing that in China, I think that's fantastic. There's a great freeway system. You know、here. what? That's interesting you said that because people, I feel like that is kind of under、uh, acknowledged. It's, it's not, a lot of people don't think about China. Even Chinese people ourselves, sometimes we don't think like we have a very robust freeway system, which We actually do. And you could pretty much, you could pretty, cause my, my, my mom's family is in a, a very small、mm. rural village,、um, in, in Northeast China. And over the years, I've seen how they were developing the free system for that neighborhood. And it's the commute, the drive back there. <laughs> and of course, I'm not the person driving, but the drive back to my grandpa's village has become easier and easier every year. And, you know, I feel like people should start taking it. It's already becoming a trend, but I think more and more young people are going to try to jump on that bandwagon and just try to at least rent an RV and see how it feels to drive to different spots. Cause really there's, there's a road pretty much connects every village. If, if you will. I noticed about the highways and freeway system in the U.S. is if you're going to get on a lot of roads, don't have stop sign that don't have stoplights in LA or San Francisco or any major city. They will be part of a freeway system. So if you're, you're going through LA to go to San Diego or you're going from San Diego up north to Highway 1 or up to Sacramento or something, there's a freeway system that branches through Los Angeles to convenient locations and it's part of a larger statewide grid. But like, What's interesting is Beijing has these ring road systems.、Yeah. And some of the ring road segments of the ring road are like a freeway. <laughs> There's no stopping for long periods of time, or there are no lights for long periods of time. And that's not connected to a larger network that goes to another province. It's just for getting around 
in Beijing. And I think that's really fascinating for me personally, because it makes getting around the city, if you're taking a cab or if your friend is driving or you're driving, it makes getting around very convenient. Have you tried to get on a cab or drive yourself when it's either late at night or during Chinese New Year in Beijing on the ring roads? No, I, have, I mean, I've been in a car. I've been in a car. I don't know. I have a U.S. driver's license. I don't have a Chinese. Oh, that's a, uh, you know, that makes the both of us. It doesn't, it doesn't exist here. So it doesn't count. But <laughs> I mean, if you could, I mean, you know, the transition uh, is, is fairly simple, right? You just need to take the written test and then you could get a Chinese driver's license. I think I actually, I think I could be wrong. Don't want to drive. I'm too, you know, here's the thing. Fact check me on this. I want to like have a DD drop me off where I want to be. Walk around however, like kind of freely and do whatever I want. <laughs> and then when I'm ready to go, not worry about where my car is and then have order another DD and it picks me up wherever I happen to be and brings me That's home. one of my justifications of not driving, even though my mom is trying to rush me and pressure me into getting a driver's license. I'm like, it's not nearly as convenient as being able to just hail a DD on my phone and I don't have to worry about parking. I don't have be I don't have to be stuck in the traffic, you know, uh, just trying to get into the parking lot. But if you you, if you ever try or just, you know, get a DD late at night in Beijing or during Chinese New Year, if you ever come back to visit, driving on the ring road feels, it feels like a breathe. Mm. Like it's, it's such a, like a breezy feeling because there's, when there's no traffic, like you said, it's elevated highway within the city. Oh God. It feels very, it feels very freeing, at least for me. And of course, daily commute and stuff that the whole ring road system really helps you to get from, especially if you're traveling to someplace that's super far. You don't have to start and stop your car every 30 seconds because there's a light. You just get out and jump on the ring road. And I don't know how much an Uber costs, but I think it might be more than a DD because Every American has to have a car. Like, okay, my kid turned 16. They have to have a car. My mom has a car. You know, my little, my brothers have cars. Their wives have cars. Like everyone has cars. And it's like, you know, yeah. some families have two or three cars, depending on how many people are in the family, how many people live in a particular domicile. Uh, I, I mean, people have cars in China. They do, but not like as many to the same extent. It's like to where, okay, there's a, someone with a pulse. They need a car. Like it's not the same thing. <laughs> and I think it's, I think it's because of infrastructure. Like China just has infrastructure that doesn't mean you, you need, you don't need a car. Like if, sure, if you want to, if you're in, uh, one town in America and you need to get to another town for your commute every day, you, you need a car. But in, in China, Beijing is like, yeah. You know, 21 and a half million people. It's like 26, you know, 50 <laughs> towns. Yeah. 26? Oh, I don't know. Officially, there's official numbers. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's what people say. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of people say it's closer to 26 too. But whenever I look it up, it always says 21 and a half or 21.8 or something like that. Hmm. Interesting. We'll look it up. Yep. I think Wuhan has 21 million. Really? I, I think it has less. I, I think so. Less. I, I, I looked it up. I could be um, mistaken, but I thought it was closer to 13 million. But anyways, the towns and cities here, you're oh, pointing out a different thing, <laughs> is very different for population yeah. than, than the states. I know. I love to cycle. So I have my own bicycle that I bought at Decathlon in Beijing and I actually shipped it out here to Wuhan. Oh, wow. But, but while I was in, it needed a bunch of repairs, by the way. When it got here, it needed, okay, <laughs> so let's say three tune-ups, three different separate tune-ups. Anyways, 
I mostly rode my bike for short trips. I lived in Shidan and I would I would go into Haidian for uh-huh. work. And it, it was like a 20 minute commute by, by bicycle. And if I left fairly early in the morning, about six, there was almost no traffic. It was fairly safe and smooth and easy to get there, except that people who don't belong in the bicycle lane love to be in the bicycle lane. So you have to keep your eyes and ears like attentive to what's going on. But for long distance trips, yes. I agree. Subway is the best way to go in my experience. But sometimes I get off work and I'm like, and I, I do want to go to the other side of the city for some entertainment. I actually came to see you do yeah. stand up one night in uh, San, the San Lituan <laughs> area. And uh, when I when I go to on those long trips, sometimes I don't want to take the subway because I don't want to have to walk all the way to the subway station two blocks and like be inconvenienced by going through the whole process of like scanning my ticket and getting on a train. So I'll just order a Didi. You know that's a Chinese <laughs> answer to Uber, and uh, yep. just endure two hours in the car. <laughs> so like I've seen uh, the, the gridlock because I just like order the premiere that comes with the water, water bottle. And then I just sit there and yes. listen to music <laughs> and read the news and just like try not to pay attention to the fact that we're barely moving. <laughs> oh, wow. But that took you two hours that time. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Bit of, oh, wow. Huh. That's probably that's 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 bad. Two hours is a little too long, but if it's uh, I remember that was a Saturday or a Friday night. I, it would, I think it was actually we'd have to ask uh, Nick <laughs> whose birthday yeah, party it was. Ho. So I have a choice of uh, using the, either the subway or getting a DD for my daily work commute. But I, cho- <laughs> I always choose DD because honestly, it's it's super affordable. Um, even with the premier service, I think it'll cost me less than ten dollars and you know what's trip. also yeah you're right but what's also nice about Didi is you can also hail cabs and you can so you have the spectrum of cars do i want someone who just has a car or do i want someone with a nice car and white gloves and then you could just order a taxi also the taxi driver might take the route that they think they know better than the ai on Didi. so like you know, be prepared yeah. to pay slightly more but um, I think it's very oh, convenient. I've had I've had very different experience with the local taxi drivers. Oh, they go do ahead. Have sometimes they yeah because they're very you know they're they're the real Beijinger and they've lived in the city. Most of them are are you know locals that have been in Beijing for their entire life and they know the roads. I think they know the roads better than the GPS for sure. Especially when I was going from my side of town to where work is, it's basically you know I have to cover. A third of the third ring road. That's how far it is from where I live. And whenever I get a, a Beijing taxi driver, I'm just like, all right, I know my commute time is going to be cut down a little bit because, you know, they drive a they drive a, a little bit aggressively. They do because uh, they're yeah. just not very patient, right? They're not very patient with the traffic. But of course, within this, like it's it's still safe. But they'll just they'll say it. They'll they'll talk about it. They're very you know talkative. When you're in the car with them and they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. traffic, da, 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 da. And then as they say that, you just kind of see them sort of just navigate this traffic. And then at one point, because for me, for example, I'm supposed to stay on the third ring road all the way until that exit that was close, that's close to the company building. And the drivers sometimes just get off the highway. Across, across the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> no, just kidding. Right? Right? They're just, <laughs> they're just like, nope. Um, they just get off the highway and I was like, uh, what are you doing? You know, you automatically you're like, are you trying to put a couple 
more quiet on the meter. And then as they're exiting the highway, they'd be like, oh, the stupid GPS. Why are you telling me to stay on the highway when you know that there is no cars on the ramp? And then they go off and there is no traffic on the ramp and they just go on the ramp for, you know, a good two kilometers and get ahead. Everybody that's still stuck on the highway. And then, you know, when whenever that happens and I'm just I just feel like I feel like I picked the right driver and the right taxi, which has nothing to do with me, of course. But I was just like, it feels like a victory in the morning for me. I felt like I did something right. I saved myself like five minutes of commute time. I was like, you go, Beijing driver. You go, Beijing taxi driver. I will listen to you. I'll listen to your rant about the traffic, <laughs> how you like to pick up people from this district and, and go to that district to that, you know math or whatever works out best for how long you have to travel. I, I like those people, but I know sometimes if they make judgments like that, it, 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 you know, it might not be the, the best computer and human. That's kind of an ongoing debate and no one really knows the truth, I feel like. Or maybe that's a little outdated of a way of thinking. I don't know. Oh, I, that hasn't, isn't that, I mean, that's, I will try to remain open-minded about it. That hasn't been my experience. It's always been my experience that I usually take the same routes. So like, I know how to get there and what it feels like to get there. And when that, when I get a taxi driver and they ask me, oh, can I take this other way? The times that I've said yes, it's always taken longer. And the times that I've hmm. said no, I, no, just take the, you know, what the DD app says that usually takes the same amount of time that I was expecting. But that's just me. I have a question. For short trips, do you ever rent a bicycle? I am, uh, <clears throat> and we're talking, we're talking about this subject. My friends, my foreign friends have called me a fake Chinese person because I am. <laughs> very genuinely scared of riding a bike on the street really oh i guess i mean in beijing it can be a little bit dangerous with like you know late older ladies pushing their babies and strollers and then cars also diving into the bike lane but you know if you, as long as you're paying attention i find that it's it's safe so you just I have to be heads safe. up okay baby stroller go to a little to the left <laughs> okay okay car go to a little to the right okay traffic just take a pause we'll just step stop here for a minute but you know I, in my yeah. experience as I, long as you're paying attention that's you know that's technically not technically it is true there are, i don't know like a couple million of people riding bicycles on the street in beijing I, I just, it's, it's a very personal thing. And my colleague tried to do a, you know, like a, a therapy session with me trying to figure out why I'm scared of bikes. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know what I'm scared of. I'm scared of bikes. I'm scared of people walking into me. I'm scared of, you know, car incoming traffic to, he said, did you have any childhood trauma with bicycles? Wow. <laughs> and I thought about it. <laughs> yeah. We talk about, you know, very deep stuff at work. And I said, I said, you know what? I did fall off the backseat of my dad's bike when I was a kid once because it was in the Northeast. It was in Dongbei and the road's very slippery um, during winter time and, and he slipped and I, I fell off. But I was, I was, I think I was five or six. I didn't remember that. According to my dad, after I fell off his bike, I, I was laughing. I was just on the ground just laughing. But I guess <laughs> the five-year-old Alex was trying to, you know, run away from the truth and was in deep denial. That's why I was laughing instead of crying because I was, I suppose that would hurt a lot for a kid to fall off the backseat of a bike. It might, yeah. If you hit your head, for sure. But, you know, children do seem very resilient. I have a story, too, though. Mine's not in my childhood, maybe. This is what makes it different. 
this was about 2015. I was riding, I think, my own bicycle at that time, and a car hit me, and it dragged me what seemed like, I don't know, like five or six meters oh before God. it came to a complete stop. Ooh. I was fine, actually. I got up, there was some blood, and, you know, my gears had gone into my leg a little bit, but it was, wasn't that bad. And I stood up, and that I, is I got... so painful. It wasn't actually painful. I was more, like, in shock that it had happened than any physical pain. So, I stood there, and the driver was this older gentleman. I took his picture and a picture of his driver's license, and he was so freaked out that he thought I was going to sue him or something. So, like, I, I collected my bicycle, and I just stood there for a few minutes to make sure I I felt okay and I realized I probably just needed like a tetanus shot and like some alcohol swabs and I was just like nah it's okay you can just take off he the the sprint into his car and the the leave was so fast (laughs) but you know yeah I would just went actually I was not that far from a clinic that I usually go to for like colds and things so I just went there and said hey I think I need a tetanus shot and told them why and they gave me a shot and helped me clean up my my leg and I was fine you know but I mean that didn't stop me from riding a bicycle but I think the difference between your story This difference between your story and my story is I was an adult. So, I already had a lot of experience like, you know, living and not being hit by cars. So, I was like, this is gonna, <laughs> this is a fluke. Whereas yours might be because yeah. it's childhood trauma. <laughs> we're, we're having a therapy session here. <laughs> I, my friend is, uh, my colleague, he's, uh, he's from, uh, uh, oh God, he's going to be mad at me. He is from Nigeria. Yes, he's from Nigeria and he speaks very fluent. Chinese, of course, and he bikes from um, the, the the agriculture exhibition center station to where he lives, because mm. that distance is a little awkward. If you walk, it's going to take you twenty to twenty five minutes, but if you bike it, it's like five minute bike ride. So that this kind of um, he he has his own precious little bicycle that he takes to the subway station every morning and oh it's uh, a folding bicycle subway station no it's uh he has to lock it outside at the Uh, the station but it's a very pretty very nice bicycle but a lot of people use the shared bikes to Mm -hmm. kind of finish Mm -hmm. the last mile of their commute if i wasn't if i wasn't scared of uh riding a bicycle on the street i my commute will be just like that as well i'll just ride the the bike from my place to the subway station is going to take me five minutes and I'm there. But unfortunately, very sadly, I am, <laughs> I am apparently traumatized from my childhood incidents. What I think and, is uh, really well known, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but what I think is really well known in the United States and elsewhere is that there was a bicycle company called OFO. And that their bicycle company eventually uh, went out of business. But what people, uh, I don't think, realize is that it didn't stop there. And that there are all these other companies like Meituan who have taken over the lead and their bicycles are still everywhere. Like living in China is ubiquitous with the ability to just walk up, open your phone, scan a QR code mm-hmm. and open a bicycle and rent it for like one kwai or one and a half kwai for a ride, which is like, I don't know, yep. 20 cents or something. And then you can go basically wherever you want. As long, Actually, I don't think you can go outside of a city limit with some bikes that'll say, hey, here's your map. You can only go so far. But most people are riding within the city anyway. Yeah, it's mostly designed for commutes. And I remember because I, you know, I'm sure you have the similar, uh, you know, uh, thinking or, or experience when you move to another country and then when you go back to your own country or if you've lived in another country, it's kind of, you know, by default that you're going to compare things that exist in both, mm-hmm, in both mm-hmm. countries. 
And I was, I remember when I first moved back and I was looking at these bicycles, I was like, now these make a lot more sense. Because when I was in New York, they had the, of course, I wasn't riding, riding, using the, the city bikes in New York either. As someone who has spent his entire life riding bicycles, I love all of it. I would not ride a bicycle in New York City, but go ahead. It's a, it's a little wild, but even if in a, if we're talking about a safer environment and if you just only need it when it's not busy on the street, it's still a little you know, out of your way because you have to return it to the, to the, to the, um, the like dock. There's a charging yeah. station, hmm. the dock. And I think you pay, I don't remember how much it was really expensive. It's almost like the price of a subway ticket in New York. And the bicycles that they provide is, uh, it's kind of like mountain bikes. It's not like city bicycles. Hmm. I, I can't remember what they looked like, but when I came back, I was like, these little light bicycles on the street and they have, you know, a pretty, like a, a collection uh, spot every, I don't know, half a mile away from each other. It's pretty much everywhere. And then if you're talking about in front of a subway station or, you know, place where people are expected to use the bicycles, they're definitely going to be a spot there. So the bikes are designed more uh, with the, you know, people's commute in mind. And so that makes a lot of sense. And then my friend told me, I think a monthly pass costs you like, I don't know, 15 quai or something. And then you can use it every day. Well, you know what I noticed when I first moved to Beijing, there were all these like bicycle docking places without bicycles. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, at the same time, my opinion mm-hmm. is in the United States, in some cities, they had that bicycle dock idea. And China had, okay, we'll build the bicycle docks too. And so it was kind of kind of going on all around the world. The difference is the United States stayed with that technology and China just was like, mm. okay, we're going to move to this next technology. And OFO was like a learning, a moment where China was learning how this works and it didn't work out for that particular company. But then other companies just kept going with it. But I kind of want to uh, pivot from here and talk about travel between cities a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> when you travel inside China and you're going from like Shanghai to Beijing or wherever, do you fly or do you take the train? Oh, I, I, I'm almost sure that I'm never going to fly to Shanghai again. <laughs> I will that? always take the bullet, the bullet train first off. Like you, all you need to do is to take the bullet train takes about four and a half hours. It's, it sounds a little bit longer than desired or, or the, the flight because the fly would take an hour and a half. But that's not thinking about the time you, it takes for you to travel to the airport, mm. do the check-in, security check, waiting for the flight, and pending or possible delays. Whereas the bullet train, you just, you just go. I've, I am a person who, who procrastinates quite a bit. I have um, been to the train station really late. I've been, the, I think the latest that was 15 minutes away from the the departure time and i got there and i was just like i am sorry i'm late i need to get in and i just ran through all like the whole way got on it fine and you know the whole thing took me from um cabbing from my place to the train station and, and getting on the train it was like half an hour don't do that don't do that please but it was it was really fast and then you get on the train 
my biggest thing is, my biggest preference for this whole travel thing is I could stand up and walk around. Oh, on the train. You like to walk around on the train. I mean, not like a crazy person, but, you know. <laughs> not like walking around and looking whatever, looking at what everybody's doing. And say, hey, I could do this. But you can easily stand up and just stretch a little bit. And, and it, it feels... Um, you have more time because if you're really traveling for business, for example, mm. then you really have four hours on the train where you can just read or, or do work and stuff on the, on the flight is like, oh, mm -hmm. the first 20 minutes, you're not going to be allowed to take your laptop, a uh, laptop, uh, out because it's, it's ascending. Mm. And then 40 minutes before you land, it's like, oh, you have to put away your little, you know, table and put away your electronic devices. So that leaves like what, 20 minutes mm -hmm. in between? So you can't really do anything else. Mm -hmm. I've noticed, I mean, all the convenience aspect is, is definitely there. For me, you know, I like to upgrade on the train because it's not that much more. It's about twice or two and a half times more to have like the first class, not the business class. That's really nice where <laughs> they sit in the pod, but the first class. And there's a lot of room there. You can even charge your own device. And I do that every time. But if I were to upgrade on an airplane to first class, yep. that would be, you know, almost yeah. prohibitively expensive. But the train, you like get this really big area and it's all to yourself. It's you, well, it's me and my wife. So it's like two seats together, but you know, it's, it's very, very convenient and you can charge your device. You have internet. The yeah. train has Wi-Fi, So that's really very convenient. Oh, that too. So, you know, if you're on something for several hours, you want to be able to access the internet because that's like a whole part of everyone's life now. Yeah. But I mean, I think what's different about, uh, you know, the United States versus, or even Europe versus China is that again, because China was late to building infrastructure, it has all the super modern infrastructure. In the United States, people travel on something called Amtrak. Have you taken Amtrak? Of course I have. It's so It's It's actually like this old style train, except for the choo-choo sound. Oh my God. It's like this old style clunkety train that travels at what, like 40 miles an hour or 50 miles an hour? Oh God. I think it's an average of 41.5 miles per hour. I read that a couple of weeks ago. And they're rebuilding it. And they're with this new $1 trillion infrastructure of several tens of billions are going to help make more Amtrak and to make sure this system survives. Okay, so that's really nice and stuff because people should be able to move around. But here in China, we're traveling at 310 kilometers per hour, you know, or roughly like yeah, 180 miles per hour or something. Yeah. So, uh, it's, and it doesn't go, you could stand a coin <laughs> up in the window and the coin will stay up, you know, like it's completely different it's because sorry, China the, got the to build everything late. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's just the, the, what's that word for, uh, it's the sound you're the, the, uh, oh my God, it's a very long onomatopoeia. Yes, onomatopoeia you're yeah. using for the Amtrak is just really <laughs> getting me. Because it's very It's true. accurate, right? It's accurate. It is very true. <laughs> and it kind of shakes around. It, oh, yes. Yeah, but you, you can barely feel that you even left the station <laughs> in China. You're, like, you're, you're not sure, is that the train beside me yeah. or are we moving? Because it's so smooth, you know? Yeah. It's a completely different, and you know, in addition to that, now I want to pivot again, even though there is like, you know, a thousand miles of this stuff and goes to every city, every major city in China, they're already starting here in China to build maglev and they have a lot of maglev oh, that they're already yes. building. So, in the future, in 10 or 20 years, you can travel like 600 kilometers per hour and the, the trip from Shanghai to Beijing will be incredibly short. So, while America is now building like rebuilding its Amtrak system, 
China is like, okay, what's the next thing? And I think that's a huge difference in like the availability of infrastructure. If you want to fly, you can fly. But if you want to take the fast train or you, you say the bullet train, you can take yep. the bullet train. And they do have something called what, what I've heard called the slow train, which is just the older train infrastructure as well, if you don't mind. Yeah. The, the green. Yeah, the, the green, green train, train, which is kind yes. of more similar to Amtrak, which is still around. I think they're, I think it, it, the, the green trains almost sort of just got completely moved uh, off shelf for the railway system here. But it's so, that's such a nostalgic thing for people. Cause that's what, I mean, again, when I was a child, when we're traveling, we're talking about taking the train, it's the, it's the green trains. And even that, it's like, well, that has a little bit of a kunk kunk. I can't, I can't, sound. You could use a different automatopoeia. What is your automatopoeia for that? For trains, we say, uh, I think we say something like, gunch, gunch, gunch. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a good, that's a, that's a good question to put out. This could be like a super popular, like, Douyin challenge. Be like, hey, trying to do the onomatopoeia of how you think your train sounds. And I'm sure people are going to come up with different answers. It would be funny. But the green trains back then, it's still, it's still very, um, comforting it's not like the the fastest train but most of the time maybe because when i was taking the green train i was uh in in the northeast and you all it's usually summer break or, or winter break so the views along you know our journey were always just oh so breathtaking so i didn't mind or i was a you know a stupid little kid and didn't i didn't know it was fast and slow but it was all okay for me it was all good memories for me so people decided to to mm-hmm. keep some of the grain uh, grain trains around and they repainted them to make sure that they, you know, look nicer and stuff. And of course the interior is completely different from what it used to be. It's, I assume still very comfortable to be in, but you'll just going to hear some of the sound and, and you decide how you want to describe it with your own imagination. But it's still, have you taken a grain train? I haven't, but you know, I, I was going to mention that people all over the world like to take these old nostalgic trains. Apparently the Orient Express is a real train, not just a movie. And huh. people actually do take this. Yeah. It goes from like somewhere in Western Europe all the way to Turkey or Istanbul. It also, ha- someone bought it apparently 20 years ago and upgraded it to this really expensive thing that you have to pay like thousands of dollars to take the train and you have to reserve it months or even a year in advance to take it, but it's still around and it's like very posh and you get your own private car. And But people love, in America, people do take these old trains as well. And so maybe this is an opportunity here for these trains to become China's nostalgia train, or maybe it already has become that. Based on what you're saying, maybe people take it just for the experience of taking that old school kind of train. And uh, I'm going to build on that and hopefully give you a little bit of more information. I don't know if you read about this, but they took that whole, you know, nostalgia aspect of traveling uh, on a train and they added this really comfortable, cushy experience on top of it. And this train goes from, I think, Dali to Lijiang in, in Yunnan province and I'm mm. sure people are very familiar with these two cities. And the train, the whole, I think the train ride, it wasn't a, a train that, that's there for, for speed. It's there for entertainment. Apparently, you have uh, about an hour and a half on the train. And they give you bigger rooms. Not like, not like those little, you know, um, like 
sort of cubicles with beds on it. It's a big bed with couch area, and they have karaoke mm-hmm. system on there. So wow, you could yeah. basically you basically <laughs> jump on the train and you just have an hour and a half and karo- of uh, karaoke and you know dining whatever, and then you're in a different city and you're traveling. You're not wasting any time on the road, so you know, in a way anymore. So I haven't tried it yet, but I actually would like to try <laughs> that. But this is a little bit off topic, but I have, there's something similar here in Wuhan. People know that on the Yangtze, people take like river cruises uh-huh. and things. It's not very common, but people do take it. They actually have a very special one here in Wuhan where people dress up like in 1920s, you know, Chinese clothing, like chi pows oh. and like Kung Fu Shan style uh-huh. clothes. And you can go out on this boat and it's not actually you. I, I thought it was going to be me dancing and me eating and whatever, like, but it's actually like a play. So you first you stand on the dock and all these people walk around, these actors, and they like put on a show as though they were going to be traveling from one city to an- the next in 1920s China. And then you board and there are actors everywhere that that are real actors that look at you and talk to you and then move around and talk to each other. And they have whole a whole show. You get to go into a little room that's all completely decorated with like spectacles and like magazines and like pretend that you're bored, you know, really on the train. And then you go to like a place where there's a bar and there's dancing and like this show goes on for like about i don't know, three hours ish oh wow we ended up on the top where there's a live a live band and we're actually cruising around the yangtze inside of wuhan and you know it's at night and you're going under the bridges and it was a really amazing experience so uh, you know definitely these nostalgia things for using older infrastructure is, is something that i don't think just happens here in china that happens around the world it's something that people really enjoy it was like being in a time machine i, I really enjoyed the experience it sounds like uh what do you, it, um what do you call that immersive um yeah yeah exactly right like no time no yeah. what's that play called no time to not no time to die sorry that's a new movie uh <laughs> i can't remember oh god no sleep not no sleep some you know that really popular thing where you walk around and interact with the with the actors but i didn't know you could do that on a, a river cruise in, in in wuhan i guess i have to try that if i ever go there Well, my wife used to work in this industry and she says some of the best are in like london there, where there's entire like building full of like each floor has its own immersive experience where you go in and have you have this in- interactive acting experience but what we experienced in wuhan was really cool because it was like a mobile cruise which was really nice when we came up yeah when we I finally know. got to the top deck and we were like oh wow we were actually moving around it was like pretty neat all right. It was really nice talking to you, Alex, and I hope we get to talk again soon. And for those of you who enjoyed listening to Alex and I speak about culture between China, the United States, and the rest of the world, please join us again on the bridge. Thank you, guys. And uh, I look forward to the day when I can call you and tell you that I'm going to ride a bike on the street, Jason. <laughs> All right. Talk to you next time. Might not happen. <laughs> next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.